On this episode of The Wharton Current, I sat down with Megan O'Connor, founder and CEO of InCycle, a battery recycling and metals processing company. Join us as we talk about the battery material supply chain, the need for critical mineral processing capacity in the U.S., and the innovation in electro extraction for battery recycling that Megan developed during her PhD, which is now the foundation of InCycle. Welcome to The Wharton Current. This is your host, Adriel Barry-Johnson. Today, we have Megan O'Connor, founder and CEO of InCycle, a sustainable metals processing technology company. Welcome, Megan. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me today. I'm so excited for this. To get us started, would you want to share your background and the origin story of InCycle and how you got started in all of this? Absolutely. So my background is as in environmental chemistry. Actually, I went to a small school in upstate New York called Union College, focused on environmental chemistry while I was there. Then I went to get my PhD in civil environmental engineering when I realized I loved chemistry, but I didn't love working on such a small scale in terms of the impact that that research would have in the near term. So I moved over to engineering and that's where I met my two co-founders. So it was my PhD advisor and one of my PhD committee members and started working on the technology that's now the core piece to what Encycle does. And so it was a a sort of a combination of different events that that came together. It was very, uh, I think it was luck on my part, but I was in my third year of my PhD at Duke and I was working on a totally different project actually in the oil and gas space and didn't really love it. And so I had been researching other areas of like clean tech and critical minerals really caught my eye and really just the... The fact that there was so much publicity around the fact that we were moving away from fossil, which was very exciting, obviously, like we're all in this field because we're very excited about this transition. But I wasn't seeing any headlines around the fact that we don't actually have enough of these critical minerals in circulation to truly make this transition happen in the time frame that we needed to or wanted to. And so I kept digging into that further and further and saw all the issues with supply chains from sort of an academic literature standpoint. And so Around that same time, I, again, was lucky to overhear a professor in the hallway talking about how he was hosting this Green Electronics Summit. And he had invited folks from Apple and Dell and Microsoft, right, all the major, you know, sort of semiconductor electronics companies in the space to the university so that they could talk about the sustainability issues they saw coming over the next five, 10 years to really help direct the university's research. And of course, it was completely close to students, but I had to be in that meeting because I was like, I've been reading all this stuff in papers, but I want to you know, hear from industry reps themselves of if, if these supply chain issues are real and of concern to them. And so I banged on this professor's door for about three weeks until he finally let me in um, and he let me in as a scribe. He's like, fine, like you can come in, you can take notes. <laughs> so we have a record of what's said. I'm like, perfect. I can do that job. And so it was, it was great. You know, my hand was cramping the whole time because they wouldn't even let me bring my laptop in, but it was totally worth it to hear and just be the fly on the wall and listen to all of these industry folks talk about, you know, the major issues they were seeing moving into this energy transition. And, and over and over again, every single one of them said recycling or waste management was one of their big concerns, right? Um, many of those reps even said, right, we, we push out new phones every year. We push out new laptops every year. We want people to get the, the latest and the greatest. But what do we do with all of those different devices when they reach their end of life? 
And a lot of people don't realize electric vehicles are just a much larger form of electronics waste, right? So wind turbines, electric vehicles, solar panels, all these really fantastic things that we're, we're, we're now producing for the energy transition all have to end up somewhere at their end of life. And we really don't have uh, a place for them or a good management system. And then paired with that was the supply chain issues, right? Where are we going to get all this cobalt? Where are we going to get all this nickel as EVs start to, you know, come out in, in much higher volumes onto the roads, right? I mean, cell phones, laptops, EVs, they all use the same type of battery, lithium ion batteries to power all of these, these great devices. And so all these companies, this was back in 2015, we're all very worried about our supply chains and then COVID hit and then all the horrible, horrible things happening in Ukraine right now. All of that has made it a much, much more difficult and constrained supply chain. And so anyway, with a long story short, I walked out of that meeting and I was like, I have to develop something, right? How has nobody thought of a way to not only recycle these materials, so develop this better waste management system while producing materials that can be reused in manufacturing. So trying to solve, you know, sort of kill two birds with one stone. And so around that same time, I met my co-founder, Chad, who developed this amazing technology for wastewater treatment. I said, that looks really interesting. I wonder if I could work for metals recycling. And he said, I've thought about that. I've never had a student interested, but you're more than welcome to take it and run with it. So I did for the next three years. And that was what ended up being my PhD thesis. And here we are today, five years later. Um, and, you know, it's the core piece of our technology to end cycle. That's amazing. It's just a really wonderful story. That's how universities are supposed to work, but not always how they do work. So. It's lovely to hear that you had that experience. So most other technologies for recycling are different than yours, right? They use hydroenergical, pyrometallurgical extraction. How did you decide to go in a completely different direction with electrochemical extraction? And can you describe how that process is different? Yes, absolutely. So the standard tech uh, sort of Technologies, processes, as you mentioned, are pyrometallurgy, which you can think of as like a really large furnace. So they burn everything at very, very high temperatures and pressures. And then hydrometallurgy is where they take, say, if it's a spent lithium ion battery out of a car, they would dissolve it in acid, use a variety of different solvents and chemicals to pull out those metals one by one. So the US really has very, very little of that type of processing capacity, right? We chose not to invest in that over the past, you know, 50 years or so. So the traditional way that we were processing both raw ore, so in the mining space, as well as recycled goods is we would collect it here. So we were in the logistics space, we might shred it down or, or mechanically process it into something and then ship it overseas to be processed by these two types of processes overseas in Asia. And we have a little bit of it up in Northern Canada. And so right now we're really struggling with, do we invest in these technologies? Because A, they're, you know, 500 million, if not a billion dollars to set up just one of these pyrometallurgical facilities. They're extremely carbon intensive. So they admit, you know, a massive amount of greenhouse gas emissions and they require very, very large volumes of materials to process efficiently and economically. And so we won't see those volumes of batteries for at least a decade, if not 15, 20 years down the road, just because you have to remember for recycling, especially when an EV is manufactured, Recyclers won't see that for eight to 10 years, right? Because we have to wait for it to, to, you know, end its useful life. And so we're talking, you know, just the Tesla's coming out this year. We probably won't see until 2032, probably at the earliest. And so a lot of the issue, especially here in North America, was 
A, we don't want to invest all this capital for the volumes of materials that we're seeing today. We just won't get that payback that we need. And, and B, uh, batteries are a very particular, particularly hazardous type of waste. Um, I'm sure we all remember the videos that came out, you know, a couple of years ago where these like your phones would spontaneously start combusting and light on fire. You can imagine that, you know, big EV packs, which are, you know, orders of magnitude larger at their end of life that are damaged or punctured, all traveling together in the back of a truck because you can no longer ship them via rail because there's been so many explosions, like is just a recipe for disaster. And so these big centralized facilities, it just doesn't make sense for this type of waste, right? I mean, think about where these batteries end up, like, especially if you think about consumer electronics, all your batteries, like I, my parents have a ton in their, in their drawer, their stock drawer at home, because they don't know what to do with them. Laptops usually don't end up in the right place. So it's a very distributed form of waste and shipping it all to one centralized facility doesn't make sense. And the processing technology hasn't been, there's been no innovation for over 50 years or so. It's just very dirty. There's been very little innovation in that space. And so when we looked at the landscape in terms of processing technologies, we thought, why would we go after the same model of centralization? Our technology works chemically in a very different way, but also is very small and modular. So we can actually go on site wherever these batteries are already being collected on a regional or local level, instead of having to ship and build out this massive facility, say in the middle of the Midwest somewhere. And so electro extraction, you can think of it like a, a Brita filter, like you'd have in your fridge at home. It's very similar. It's a water filtration with a carbon filter. And so when you filter your water with a Brita filter at home, that carbon filter on the inside collects all of the metals at once. So if you have any heavy metals or anything, it collects them all in that one filter stage. We've taken that same basic idea of filtering with a carbon filter, but we figured out a way to push an electrical current across that carbon filter because carbon in the, in the form that we use it in is very conductive. And so we can pull out one metal at a time based off of the different electrical currents that we place. So we have multiple of these carbon filters in series, each with a different electrical current going across it. So we can pull out one metal at a time and be able to separate them that way. So for example, in the recycling space for lithium ion batteries, we take a lithium ion battery from our partners. They already crush it and mechanically separate some of the other materials that we don't want. When we get it, it looks like a black powder, essentially. We take that, we dissolve it in a water-based solution and then we push it through our, our electrochemical water filter and apply those different voltages. And we can pull out the cobalts, the nickel, the manganese, the graphite, and then we have lithium as a byproduct. One of the things that's really amazing in reading about the technology you've created is that it's, it's so much better on every front from the existing technology. It's better for the environment. It's better in terms of CapEx. It's better in terms of logistics, operationally, just really across the board, you being immersed in the space a lot more than I am or than any listener would be, does it feel to you like a complete step change in terms of technology or are the competitive technologies closer to this process in terms of those factors? Yeah, that's a great question. So, so yes, electro extraction is is really a huge change and a huge innovation for the space. And in terms of the way we chemically process materials, because especially in North America, we just have never really focused on that step. And we have realized very quickly that we need to start pulling more of our supply chain back here. And that critical mineral processing step is one of the steps that we have the one of the largest pain points in. And so a lot of our competitors or other folks in the space are 
really taking a different approach and a different risk in terms of their business model in vertical integration. And so a lot of these folks decided that a massive centralized facility and going all the way and owning and controlling everything from logistics of collecting all these batteries, getting them to a facility to shred into that black powder I mentioned before, and then chemically processing with very traditional technology. So they have chosen to invest in these, you know, 500 million billion dollar facilities, then all the way to producing either battery grade materials that can go right back into cathode manufacturing or producing cathodes themselves, which again, are many, many, many steps that have never been done here in the US, or at least not in a very long time, depending on which step you're talking about. So they're, they're taking that, that vertical integration approach and trying to control, you know, essentially every aspect of that value chain, whereas we're really focusing in on just the chemical processing stage, because we have not seen many players who are thinking about ways to innovate in that particular step. And there's so much room for innovation, as I mentioned before, because it's it's very, very old technology. And as I mentioned, this waste is such a different form of waste than we're used to seeing, even for the metal scrap that we've looked at and, and have processed here in the States before, because it's just such a pain and so hazardous to ship. And so again, we feel that the centralization of these facilities does not make any sense. And so that's why we went with the modular piece and we can attach on to sort of any of these processes. So we, I wouldn't say we see those folks as competitors. We see them as partner facilities because again, you know, our business model and what our value that we bring to industry is really just a much more efficient, cleaner way to process these materials, whether it's in a vertical, a vertically integrated company or folks that are just in the logistics game and sell the material after they process it into some usable material. Yeah. And so with the recyclers who you're partnering with, how did you how do you decide which step in the process to operate in? And then how did you decide to be a supplier to recycling companies versus compete with them directly? Yeah. So when we started to dig into the supply chain in general and really how our waste is managed here, especially in the U.S. and, and even Canada and North America in general, the biggest pain point that we saw when we talked to folks is that they just didn't have either the capital to invest in the chemical processing, because as I mentioned before, right, these facilities are, are very, very expensive in terms of CapEx and OpEx, and they didn't have the volumes to support an investment like that. So their only option was either to sell it up to Canada and really make very, very little margin on this. So the payables are quite low for the material because they're not, they're sort of sending just a mixture of all sorts of different batteries. You can imagine folks that they're selling it to are going to charge them quite a bit to remove all of the sort of elements or materials or metals that they don't want or send it over to China to be processed. And so the transportation alone would eat away at that margin. And so there's, there's really... There was really no alternative for them because they didn't have the capital or the know-how to process it here. And so the value that we saw that we could bring was partnering with these smaller facilities that have meaningful volumes, just not large enough to invest in their own hydro or pyro facility and be able to operate for them to take their materials, process it into a much higher value grade metal that can then be sold either here in North America or in Europe and keep it, you know, in this hemisphere instead of having to ship it back to the other side of the world where, again, a lot of our supply chain issues stem from. That makes sense. And it sounds like then you're probably partnering with waste management and recycling organizations that haven't been recycling these before because they've been sending them on elsewhere. 
how much time do you have to spend kind of explaining your technology and your process and bringing potentially hesitant, small, regional waste management organizations on board? Yeah, that's a great question. So it's when I first started looking into this space, it sort of blew my mind that a recycler, and I'm using air quotes right now, you know, to be deemed a recycler, you were in the logistics space and you were legally allowed to export your e-waste. So that was what recycling has been in the United States for a very long time. And to me, like if you're not chemically recycling it, it's not recycling. But um, so the logistics part of it was what recycling was sort of deemed long ago. And so I think a lot of the folks want to process. So it, it really depends on the level and the size of the company. So super, super small companies that, you know, might be at a city level and not even like a county or a state level. They definitely, it takes a little bit more time for us to explain the value that we can bring uh, depending on what materials that they have. And a lot of them are aware of of what metals are there, right? Because they're processing it. They just don't realize the other players in the supply chain that they could sell it to if it were upgraded more. And so, but if we talk to sort of the state or even there's lots of players who are very large on the West Coast in general or the East Coast in general, and they have, you know, say 10 to 20 different sites across the U.S., they're very well aware of, of the supply chain and they're very excited to work with us because they know exactly how much value we can extract. They just have never been able to get their hands on it before because they just didn't want to invest in the chemical recycling capacity. So I would say it really depends on, on who, on the type of customer we're talking to. But yes, we work with small, medium, large waste management folks who have been in the metals recycling business for a very long time, mostly focused on copper, aluminum, tin, and now want to get into the battery materials and even the rare earths, a lot of the materials that they couldn't process before, or at least, you know, would avoid because they were something that they couldn't handle. And then we also work with a lot of the refiners who will accept that material later on that would like it in a much purer form before it goes into their final processing stage. That's really interesting because it sounds like you're, you're also kind of changing the business model at some level of some of these smaller Young recyclers. There's a lot of potential for change there, which is exciting. Absolutely. With the technology, how much reusable material are you able to get out? I don't know, on like a per battery basis or per volume of battery, however you measure that. Yeah, that's a that's a good question. So when we get the battery material, it's about 50% of what the full battery was when it arrived at our partner facility. So they take those full batteries, say if it's a, a cell phone, they shred it down into what's called a black mass material. And so they recover a lot of the copper and the bigger components on a cell phone or a laptop. I mean, we get it, the black mass is a mixture of the cathode and the anode. So that's about 50% of, of any type of lithium ion battery or device that comes in. And so when we get that 50%, we put it through and we can actually recover about 95% of that material. So once we get it, we do have a very high recovery rate of all the materials in there, including the graphite, the cobalt, nickel, manganese, and then we even produce a lithium brine material. And for which of those metals is electrochemical extraction the biggest delta in improvement from an environmental perspective, from a cost perspective? Or is that what the pilots are for? Yeah, so they're all very similar. So we we recover all of them at a very similar rate. And in terms of the environmental impact, we save about 75% of greenhouse gas emissions compared to how hydro and pyro would do it otherwise. 
And then in terms of cost, it's not necessarily based on the cost of the commodity, right? So cobalt is a much higher priced commodity than say nickel is, although in recent weeks, <laughs> nickel has been crazy. Um, and so we really are creating the, the equal, I'd say equal value for all of them, even though they're different priced commodities, simply by creating a much higher grade material. So in terms of the payables that these customers will receive, it's much higher regardless of, of how much the metal sells for ultimately at the end. That's awesome. I know in this business, as you've talked about, the logistics of moving batteries around is one of the biggest challenges, which is why you've built your technology to be modular and have a much lower startup cost. But a lot of batteries are also going to end up outside of the U.S. for their end of life. I understand a lot of times an electric vehicle, when it's the end of its life here in the U.S., it might get sold to other countries and then those, all those batteries are going to finish their lives outside the U.S. So it's a very global business in terms of where the batteries end up and where recyclers are located. So how are you going about business development, possibly on a global scale and having recyclers adopt the technology in other parts of the world as well? Yeah. So in terms of our business development efforts, we work with clients all over the world. So we're particularly focused in on North America and Europe right now. We are starting to build relationships in countries sort of all over the world, because like you said, this is not just a North American problem. I would say we face a particularly painful <laughs> uh, part of the supply chain here because we don't have any type of, of refining capacity. But you know, Europe is is very similar in terms of of how their batteries end up in different places. The the minimal processing they have, although they do have more over there, and they are ahead of us in terms of of regulation. And so there's a little bit more push from from government to actually solve or get recycling up and running a little bit faster than I would say here in the U.S. I would say here industry is pushing us faster than than the government is. Although with the recent change in administration, that is that is becoming a priority. And so we work with folks you know, all over and they're all very excited about the fact that we're modular and can scale with the, the volumes of batteries over the years where we can start with one or two of our units right now to start processing black mass or batteries today, which a lot of the folks in the space cannot, right? Because they have many, many years to build out their hydrometallurgical facilities and then add, simply add units in parallel as the volume start to increase. And so we, we can help them start to meet those goals, you know, much faster than the traditional type of company would. A lot of recyclers are getting started or being built now. I understand Lifecycle is building 20 new locations in the U.S., but there are maybe hundreds around the world that are getting built. Does it matter whether you start partnering with those recyclers now as they're getting built or later once they're built? Good question. So we work with folks who already have the facilities built out. And a lot of those facilities are the mechanical processing side. And so that's the ideal sort of customer for us where they don't have the chemical recycling on site, but they do have the shredding capacity. So we do not currently shred the batteries into black mass. We work with folks who are already shredding that black mass and then deciding where to send that black mass to be processed into the individual metals. And so that's sort of the ideal uh, place for us to sit is right on site where those batteries are being shredded because we not only can process it into a much higher grade material, 
but we can also significantly reduce the volumes that they have to ship. So whether it's, you know, in a remote area in the, say the Southeast or Southwest or Northeast, Northwest, right? We can significantly reduce that volume so that it's much easier for them to ship that higher grade material to whether it's their own facility. So if they're vertically integrated, shipping that, that much higher grade material to their hydro flow sheet, which would then save them OPEX because it's a much higher grade material than just simply adding the black mass into that hydro facility. Or again, as if these customers we're working with are not vertically integrated and do not have their own processing, can sell the material for a much higher payable. And so it makes sense that if, you know, for example, if a company has already invested in building a hydrometallurgical plant, then they've already made that investment and they're going to want to use that process probably. And so you want to either work with companies before they've gotten to the point where they've built that or companies where that's not a piece of the process they're doing right now, if I'm understanding that correctly. So we can we can actually work with and have many customers who already have hydro metallurgical processes up and running because you can think of us like a shortcut to hydro. And so we would slot right into a traditional hydro flow sheet. We just are simply replacing a lot of the very chemical intensive steps because we've taken three of the what we call unit processes in a hydro flow sheet and combined them into one technology to make it much more efficient. So if there's any technical folks out there listening today, um, you can think of us as like chemical precipitation, but we're using electricity to chemically precipitate these metals instead of using other chemicals to do that. So it's that's how we really reduce the the greenhouse gas emissions and the cost and how we can slot into a hydro flow sheet very, very easily. So we can help these customers avoid pyrometallurgy. Um, so traditionally in the supply chain, either if it's a primary ore material that comes right out of the ground that is mechanically separated or upgraded in some fashion or end-of-life recycled material both go through the same processes, which a lot of people don't know. It would typically go through a pyrometallurgical stage first. So that pyro is really that bulk upgrading step. They burn a lot of the unwanted material off. They lose a lot of the value material in the process. And then it would go to a hydrometallurgical facility to be upgraded. So you can think of that as like a final finishing step to get it to that really, really high grade uh, product that would go right into a battery because it has to be really, really clean to go back into a battery. Um, the way that we manufacture today. And so we allow all of the industry to skip over the pyrometallurgical step, which is typically the highest carbon part of that process. And then we can help skip a lot of the hydrometallurgical processing that's required because we can, we can sort of slot in right in the middle and enable them to use less materials, or less chemicals to get to the same output. That makes sense. I know that your technology is applicable to mining as well. So as big as the battery recycling market is and will be, the mining industry is even larger. What conversations have you had with mining companies so far? And how is the process different when you're working with them or would potentially be working with them? Yeah, so... We have lots of conversations and relationships in the mining space as we are getting into our first commercial project this year. And so very similar to battery recycling, we, we partner directly with the mining companies and we can put our systems right on the site and help them upgrade that ore so that they are shipping less material to wherever they're going to do that final finishing step. So for example, a lot of the, say, cobalt ores that we have here or nickel ores are lower grade than what you'd see overseas. 
I like to say a lot of these assets that we have are stranded and have been stranded for for many decades because you can't invest in, again, the traditional hydro and pyro processes that you would need to process this or because we have what are called short life mines here in the States where they're typically producing these concentrates for 10 to maybe 15 years, whereas a lot of the overseas mines will be up to 30 years or more in terms of what they're producing. And so you just, you don't have the return that you need when you're looking at the short life mines here, because again, it's so much shorter and the, the ore is typically much lower grade. And so they, they haven't been able to invest in any kind of processing and it doesn't make sense to ship all of that low grade ore overseas to be processed into metal. Because we're basically, we have the, the, the critical mineral here, we're digging it out of the ground and then we're shipping it overseas and losing it and then having to buy it back again. So it doesn't really help our supply chain problem. And so a lot of these folks are really excited that, again, we can sort of fit our system to the size of the operation that they have. We don't have to build out sort of one standard hydro facility, process that ore for them, significantly reduce the volume by 50% or more so that they can ship it to a refinery either in Canada or over in Europe to be processed into the output products that they want. And so we're very excited to be moving into that space very quickly. We work with sort of the juniors and as well as the very large mining companies who are now looking towards the future and realizing that they can't rely on these uh, very carbon intensive processes anymore and are looking to, a lot of them are looking to upgrade their hydro metallurgical facilities. So the example I gave before, we would be that shortcut, not only for cost, but also for the carbon savings for their existing facilities. Are you finding in those conversations that this would enable those mining companies to mine more at sites that they already have? Or would it open up new sites that previously wouldn't have made sense to be mining, but now they'll be able to do so and get enough out of it to be profitable? Yeah, so we're actually applicable to both of the scenarios you just said. So a lot of the the mines that have been operational and producing for, for many, many years are starting to now see their ores degrading. So they're getting lower and lower in terms of the amount of metal that's there within the same volume. And so it doesn't make sense economically to continue to use their traditional processing methods. And so that's where we come in and help them to continue to produce and and have the economics that they need to continue to operate. And then we're also opening up a lot of new mines or allowing that to happen because again, they couldn't invest in those very expensive in terms of CapEx processes. And we can go on site and help them start producing metal. And so I think a lot of a lot of folks, especially here in the US, are very hesitant to continue mining and for good reason. I mean, a lot of the the processing that we have is is terrible for the environment. But unfortunately, we will not get to this clean energy economy and be able to transition without more material. It's just this the fact is we don't have enough metal. Uh, we have to mine. Like we have to mine more materials. And so you know, when I started this company, like, let's figure out a way to do that more sustainably because we can't avoid it to get to the transition. We have to mine more material. And so why not do it in a better way? And so that's why we're, we're hyper-focused on, on that space as well, because I think there's, there's a lot of room for, for really big impact. Transitioning a little bit, I would love to hear what the process of building a company has been like for you, being CEO, building the company from the beginning. Yeah, absolutely. So as I mentioned in the beginning, I come from a very technical academic background. So this is my first job and company right out of grad school. And so it's been a very interesting learning process. I've loved every minute of it. It's definitely a roller coaster. I would say um, I always make the joke that 
grad students make the best entrepreneurs because we're used to being poor and we're used to making mistakes. <laughs> so to all my fellow grad students out there, like you definitely have the mental, the mental capacity and ability to, to do this. It's, it's very similar and it's, it's been fun. I mean, it's, it's a lot of work. I'm not going to lie. It was, it's not easy by any means, but um, I love, and I, to this day, we're still building our team. I loved the, the building out the team in the early years, building out the technology, just really getting the right people around me to help me build a successful technology and company. I like to say it takes a village to do this. And so I think my favorite part of it has really been building out that team, finding people who believe in this as much as I do. It's, it's still crazy to me to think that I had this vision, you know, seven years ago now in 2015 of like this technology could do this. Never really thought it would go anywhere. And then, you know, here I am today where we're still in the process of commercializing, but we're so much closer and been able to to get a team behind me who also believes in this mission and, you know, that we could truly redefine what critical mineral processing is around the world. And so, you know, I have to remind myself to think of that on, on hard days where, you know, things are, are not going as planned or timelines change as they do every day here. But it's been really rewarding in that sense of of just you know, learning so much, trying to figure out from the very beginning, like, what's a business model? What do I, you know, what do I need to do here to be successful in this industry and getting those, those right people on board. So it's been (laughs) so far, what is this four and a half, almost five years now? It's been a fun four and a half years so far. What are some of the successes that you're most proud of through those years? Yeah, I'd say the team, again, I'm just so amazed with my team and the fact that I've been able to, to get them on board. I'm super proud of that. I have an amazing, amazing team of engineers and now corporate business development folks on board. It's, it's, it's so great to have them here with us every day. And then the fundraising, again, fundraising is its own beast. And so convincing and showing investors that what you're doing is real and it works and, you know, it is a, a sort of step change in the industry is really exciting. And so I'm, I'm pretty proud of that. And then just talking to these customers, there's so much room for innovation and so much room for change in terms of the way we process minerals. I'm just really excited and proud that we've made it this far. I think there's there's a very long way to go for us to have that change go into effect, but I'm I'm just really excited about the future and I'm so excited to go into our first commercial projects this year. Where and when will those be starting? So I can say that they'll be at the end of this year. I can't say where or with who yet, but we will be able to announce that soon. Awesome. Is there anything else that you'd want to share with listeners about the company, about the space, about the process of starting a company? I would say just some advice I have is definitely find your champion or your champions. That's definitely gotten me through a lot of the super, super difficult times and even the good times. Finding those two or three people who really believe in you and understand what you're trying to do and can help you get there, whether it's through introductions or you know, helping you with some of the workload because, you know, at the beginning it was really just me and my co-founders and um, my co-founders still had full-time jobs. And so it was really tough to find sort of the early believers, but those people are so critical to just getting you to where you need to be and, and helping you through those times. And, you know, again, as a first-time entrepreneur, I had a hard time figuring out what to do next, what to focus on first. And so they really just helped map that out for me and said, you know, okay, focus on this first. You don't need to worry about X, Y, and Z. This will come in a year to two years to three years time. And then from an end cycle perspective, we are hiring lots and lots of positions. So if you are interested in this space and thought anything I have said in the past 40 minutes was interesting, we'd love to hear from you. 
hiring lots of business development and corporate development positions. And we are also hiring uh, many, many engineering positions. So feel free to reach out. We don't even have them all up on our website yet. So if you don't see anything, please still send your resume. I would love to, to meet you and see why you're excited about what we're doing. I know of at least a few who probably will reach out. <laughs> it's amazing. How can our listeners find you and find Encycle? Yeah, so you can go to our website. So it's ncycle.com. You should be able to find all the links to all of our articles and our videos and, and other things that we've been on. So, so feel free to check us out. Wonderful. Well, it's been an absolute delight to have you on the podcast. Thank you so much for joining. Yes, thank you. And I hope everyone enjoyed and look forward to hearing from some of you soon. Thanks, everyone, for joining us on this episode of The Wharton Current. A special thanks to our guest, Megan O'Connor of InCycle. If you're interested in learning more about battery recycling and InCycle, please visit their website at InCycle.com. Thanks for listening.